0: Library. I'm Sarah, and today Megan, one of my colleagues focused on adult services, is joining me to talk about great books by and about Native Americans. We have fiction and nonfiction recommendations for you. By the way, if you'll be in the area on Saturday, November 12th, please stop by West Dallas Public Library for First Nations Stories with Andy Cloud at 1pm. The Ho-Chunk Storyteller will share stories from Wisconsin tribes. The program is geared to adults, teens, and children. Cloud will also lead a mini canoe craft for those who have registered for it. To register or find out more, go to westallislibrary.org events. And now for our book suggestions. I'm Sarah, and today I'm joined by Megan. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do here at West Dallas Public Library?
1: Sure. So I am a reference librarian here and I collect for the paperbacks and part of the nonfiction collection and work on the information desk. So you'll see me around and I also am helping out with some programming. Great. Well, thanks for joining me today.
0: We are talking about books for Native American
1: Heritage Month. So the first book I'd like to talk about is called The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America from 1890 to the Present by David Troyer. It came out in 2019, and it's more of a traditional history book, uh, but it looks at Native American history from the time of the massacre at Wounded Knee through the present. And it sort of challenges this idea that Native American history is over, that it ended with the closing of the frontier. And it walks through the different policies and organizations that have impacted Native American life in America in that time. So it goes into, you know, after the treaty sort of era of the government's dealings with the Native American tribes, it really moved into certain policies, like the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, which did a lot of stuff with reservations. He goes into sort of like the ways that the government and Native American tribes have sort of like negotiated sovereignty, and the way that culturally Native Americans have been viewed in that time. So it's a really interesting thing because it's history, but it's fairly recent history, and it's history that really is not taught in schools. So I learned so much, he's also just an incredibly readable author, it's like a fast pace for history you know you're really like it's a page-turner which i don't think most straight history books often get that reputation but it's fantastic it's really fascinating to see how the idea of the frontier and the idea that the frontier was no longer there changed the relationship between the government and native americans and what happened so it was a really fascinating book and It's, I think, really important history that is not just about Native Americans. It's also about, like, anybody who's American and what our relationship is to our own history. So I would highly recommend it for anybody interested in more recent history. You learn a lot. That
0: sounds really good. It also sounds like it's more of a narrative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Is that how you would
1: It is. It's a bit more narrative than I think maybe like a book about, you know, like Tudor England would be. Uh Because obviously the author grew up in this time period and has his own memories. And he does include himself in the history a bit, but it's definitely not a memoir. But he illustrates some of the changes that have come by illustrating how it affected his own family. And I think his willingness to sort of expose sort of the dark side of his own family really helps you see how these different policies over generations have impacted people Mm -hmm. and really lets you get to know them as human beings like all the members of his family and then you get a more human aspect to it so there is a bit of that narrative kind of going through yeah
0: well it sounded like he was a good storyteller he's an
1: amazing storyteller yeah so if you have that
0: fast pace it kind of feels more
1: novelistic
0: than mm-hmm. a typical nonfiction book. Yeah,
1: it is packed with info. Like, I learned something probably on every single page, which I love. I love a history book where I'm constantly being exposed to new things and being like, wait, what? I had no idea. And uh, it will spur like a lot of Wikipedia rabbit holes <laughs> um, because you'll want to learn more and more. But overall, it's just incredibly readable, very educational and I think really thought-provoking about how we as white Americans have been taught to think about Native Americans and Native American history and their role in our country and it's a good reminder that like Native Americans are not a part of history they are a part of our current environment Mm -hmm. and that so like he goes all the way up to like Standing Rock and the water protectors in that protest. So it's it's really interesting, and it brings it into current-day issues, and environmentalism and climate change and stuff. So there's a lot of different ways to sort of like get into this book.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I read, too, in maybe articles about these books and authors, how sometimes they're fighting against this idea that there aren't any Native Americans anymore. Like that's history. Exactly. Um, but of course they're still around and still here. It's it's not ancient history.
1: Yeah. That's definitely sort of the how I think this book starts is by reminding you that you are reading a history, but it's about people who still exist. Yes. And that it's important we understand the history to understand the conditions and situations that they live in now.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that one. One of the books that I read is called Sabrina and Karina. It's a short story collection by Kali Fajardo-Anstein. It's her first book. I believe she won an award for it. It's very well written, and she's a very talented storyteller. These stories are not connected. They're separate stories but they all involve Latina women of indigenous descent, and most of them take place in Colorado. So you really get a feeling for the place Mm -hmm. and and a different Colorado than maybe we have seen in other stories, Mm -hmm. um, in mainstream stories. It was really interesting how she had all these different perspectives. So she has one story early on is told from a girl's point of view. And then there's a story, my favorite story actually, I want to see if I can find it. It was a story from the point of view of a grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so you get really a range of ages, which is interesting, she's a, the author is a younger woman. I think she was in her 20s when she started writing this, and maybe when it was published she was in her 30s. I really enjoyed all of these stories, but this one was a standout for me. And I wanted to read the first line because I thought it was a really powerful first line. The day before Perla Ortiz killed a man, she had lunch at home with her granddaughter, Alana. <laughs> I feel Whoa! Like yeah, <laughs> that just is a great first line. It does. I want to read that story. Now. <laughs> yeah. I thought that the characters were mm-hmm. really well-developed, mm-hmm. um, really interesting people. I loved the sense of place and the author did have a novel that was published this year. So this, mm. the collection of stories is from 2019. And her first novel was published in 2022. I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my list after reading this story collection. I think she's really, really good. I read an article and saw an interview with her and she used a lot of her family's stories um, as kind of inspiration Mm -hmm. for this collection. They're not her family's stories, but um, she's speaking from her own experience and her family's experience. And she herself is a Latina with indigenous descent. One of her grandmas is Jewish. I don't know if it was her grandma or her grandfather was Filipino. So she has a mix of cultures mm-hmm. in her background. And these stories are just fantastic. And I would really recommend, if you, especially if you are a fan of short story collections, this is a really good one.
1: Is there like a theme that sort of weaves through all of the stories that connects them or are they really separate? I think there are themes that
0: pop up in the stories um, as you kind of were talking about the impacts of the way that Native Americans have been treated Mm -hmm. and not all of the stories involve poverty but Mm -hmm. some of them do. Mm -hmm. People are dealing with the impact of generations of what's been going on yeah and family is important like as you get Mm -hmm. a sense from that maybe a little bit from the story that I mentioned where Mm -hmm. the grandma has a really strong relationship with her granddaughter these are individual stories but they do give you this insight like these different perspectives that helps you see the place They're definitely linked by theme Mm -hmm. and there are similarities. And I think place is the really big one, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the link that some
1: other story collections do. You don't (laughs) realize at the end that they've like all been part of one family or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I enjoy those too. Yeah, um, but it's kind of nice to have. Discreet stories Mm -hmm. that just are all really good. (laughs) Second book I'm going to talk about is, it's a book of essays. It's called Carrie, A Memoir of Survival on Stolen Land by Tony Jensen. It came out in 2020. I should say it's much shorter than Heartbeat of Wounded Knee. So um, Heartbeat of Wounded Knee is like 528 pages. This one's only 294. So if you're looking for a shorter book, I'd recommend this one. It's Toni Jensen's memoir. And she talks a lot throughout the book about violence, the violence that she saw in her community, in her family, in places she's lived, in neighborhoods she's lived in. But despite that, it is not a scary book or any way. It's not like you don't feel fearful necessarily reading it, but she really explores like how violence has impacted her life, particularly the lives of women, and very specifically the lives of Native women. And she speaks really eloquently about this sort of epidemic of violence against Native women and how little is paid attention to, how vulnerable they are, how the state does not care, and there's very, you know, very few investigations into their murders and despite all of that I would not say that this is a book that's depressing or sad. I think she's an incredible writer and she really connects it to issues that affect everybody. She talks about sort of this epidemic of gun violence and mass shootings and school shootings which are things that, you know, affect everyone and everybody has some sort of like emotional connection to that. And she's just an incredible writer who can really make her personal experience Connect with the reader, kind of no matter what your situation is. And she talks about her own journey of dealing with her abusive family members and like learning how to negotiate that relationship. And she talks about becoming a teacher and how she works with students who live in very violent homes or neighborhoods or cultures. And so you see it from a lot of different angles. And she just is able to write beautifully about something so ugly. And one thing, I actually have my reading journal from when I first read it and Uh, One of the things I wrote was that, despite the grim topic, her voice is so clear, the writing is so beautiful. I was struck by how she takes care of the reader, how she extends care and consideration to us, even while relating stories where people are decidedly not caring for one another or for her. I was impressed with her ability to weave history, family stories, and current events into one narrative. Her exploration of her indigenous heritage and her white passing experience as Matisse is woven into all the stories and ties it all together and then I said I would love to be in her classroom she seems like she would be a fantastic teacher she really takes care of her readers and you can see how it is echoed in the stories that she takes care of the people in her life and how she cares for herself and learns to care for herself but it's really beautiful and it it takes that idea of violence and particularly gun violence and explores it on like a very personal level on a larger level of like violence against Native women and then like how that has affected our whole country, gun violence in general. But she does it all really beautifully somehow. (laughs) That's very cool. Yeah. What kind of teacher is she? She uh, teaches in some MFA programs. Okay. Um, So she teaches at the University of Arkansas and at the Institute of American Indian Arts. And at one point in the book, she's teaching at like a community college, Mm -hmm. but now she's working in MFA programs. Okay. Yeah.
0: So does she do other types of writing in addition to memoir?
1: She writes a lot of articles in literary magazines or Mm -hmm. magazines, a lot of online work as well. Yeah, this um, memoir is, like, incredible, and it came out in 2020, so it's not very old. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that one. I'm glad that you mentioned it. I don't remember how I came across it. I sort of, in 2020, started reading more Indigenous authors because the super of my building in Chicago was fixing something in my house one day, and he saw that I had a bunch of history books, and he was of Latino Indigenous heritage from Mm -hmm. Mexico, and so he actually came over and was like, hey, I saw a bunch of the stuff on your shelf, I think you might like this book, and gave me a history book that was about Native American history, particularly in the Southwest, and sort of how the changing borders affected Indigenous life there Mm -hmm. and it was really interesting and fascinating. And so he sort of kicked off this like spur of reading. So I think I probably was just like you know stuck inside during like lockdown googling like indigenous books <laughs> and
0: that's cool I found that's, it it's um, great how readers connect in yeah different ways. <laughs> yeah
1: you know fix my radiator and send me off on like a nice little book tangent it's a really lovely book it also has a beautiful cover i know that doesn't really matter but it does have a beautiful cover so it's always nice to yeah i think you know. a good title and a good cover yeah you know,
0: helps a book stand out yeah. There's a book that is out this fall,
1: and I'm like, I could just get it at the library, but I might want to buy it because it has such a beautiful <laughs> it's so cover. So beautiful. Yes, I understand. <laughs> I've almost purchased a much more expensive copy of my last book just because of the cover. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need it, but it's so pretty <laughs> that I want it. So, <laughs>
0: well, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you mentioned that. The man that you encountered Mm -hmm. was from Mexico, Mm -hmm. and I just went on a trip, and I was in Asheville, and I went to the Asheville Art Museum. They had a really cool exhibit that I had, like, read a little bit about it, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know. It seemed a little bit experimental but I, I went to it. Part of it was photographs that a photographer took of things that people left when they were crossing the border from oh, Mexico to the yes. US and mm-hmm. a lot of the exhibit was talking about the history of mm-hmm. the border and how you know Texas used to be part mm-hmm. of Mexico and there were these lovely photographs. The other part of the exhibit was this musician-composer, and he took these items that were found by the border crossings and people who actually left things behind, Mm -hmm. and he made instruments out of these found objects. Oh my gosh! The instruments were on display, and then he made this amazing composition that you could listen to, and it was playing the entire time that you were in this space. That was so cool. and That then is they had, really neat. Yeah. They had these little QR codes so you could actually see him in on video playing the instruments. Wow. It was fantastic. That it was is really fascinating. <laughs> yeah.
1: That is really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, wow! I really yeah. enjoyed that, and it was something like I said. I, I don't know if I would have sought it out, but mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I went there and yeah. experienced that because mm-hmm. it was very cool.
1: That is really cool.
0: Also, part of the exhibit was oral histories with people who had crossed the border mm-hmm. and yeah were living here mm-hmm. and their experiences. So it was it was a really good exhibit.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. That sounds really neat. Now I want to go see it. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a traveling show. Maybe it can come to Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, it might travel. It should. I hope more people see it. Yeah, um, that's
1: really cool. I remember hearing a story about, I think he was like a janitor who worked in a detention center near the border mm-hmm. and all the things that people sort of had to discard, he was he kept them and he mm-hmm. like filled a whole garage and then he photographed it. Okay. Um, and I have a friend who's a reporter in Boston, and she did a big story on it. And, I mean, I remember while she was reporting it, she was telling us about it, and it was really incredible. Wow. Like, he sort of found this art in trash, but he found, like, the human side of, you know, it was really beautiful. So It sounds very similar. Um, as far as the...
0: Other books that I was reading, I actually listened to The Sentence by Louise Erdrich on my trip. This was a really interesting book. It's dealing with a lot of serious issues, but Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of humor. I would say I think it's a little quirky, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. the word quirky can be dismissive, (laughs) but in the best way. If you read anything about it, the descriptions of the book Mm -hmm. will focus on Tookie, who's really kind of the main character, although there are a lot of characters in the book. She had been incarcerated in the past, and she works in a bookstore. She actually works in Louise Erdrich's bookstore. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, does
1: she work in her bookstore in Minneapolis? (laughs) Yeah, so it takes place
0: in Minneapolis, and Tookie is of Ojibwe descent, And her husband, Pollux, is also part Native American, and he's really interested in keeping some of the bits of his culture. But Tookie, you'll find that the descriptions of the book, they'll talk about how she's haunted in the bookstore by one of the most annoying customers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this person died, and she's present in the bookstore. And she especially focuses on Tookie. This book starts out in November of 2019, and then the pandemic happens. Oh. So you get to experience how that impacted the store. And
1: mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's fiction, but I'm sure that some of it is real. Yeah, it's also some sneaky marketing in your own <laughs> book, your own bookstore, in there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so a big part of the book is bookstore life for lack mm-hmm. of a better term mm-hmm. you hear about not just Tookie and her co-workers but some of the regular customers that they encounter and how they develop relationships over time with recommending yeah. different books so there's a lot of that in the book it's not this linear story of what happens yeah. with this ghost. It feels like a roomy, big novel where there's a lot going on.
1: That's great. I love yes. that.
0: and the George Floyd um, oh, incident yeah. that... comes up, and because um, that was in that was right um, there, yeah, yeah. In Minneapolis. And then Pollux took his husband was a former policeman. He was a tribal policeman, I think. And so he has kind of mixed feelings about what's all going on with the protests and the call for defunding the police. And also it's brought up that a lot of Native Americans have been Mm -hmm. killed by police, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't get in the news it doesn't Mm -hmm. get reported a lot of it happens on reservations Mm -hmm. there's all of this like serious stuff going on but Mm -hmm. then there's a lot of humor in the book and Tookie has this great relationship with Pollux they're so funny and good together there's also a storyline of the stepdaughter of Tookie's. She never actually gave birth, but she really is like a mom to her stepdaughter, but they've had this kind of complicated relationship, and that changes over the course of the book, which is really nice. There's just a lot going on, and then there is this ghost that she hears, and actually another person, one of her co-workers in the store, does hear the ghost of Flora but it's a little bit creepy because when Tookie was alone one time Flora says let me in and so she
1: feels really (laughs) creepy yeah
0: really personally haunted by this ghost I don't want to say too much more cuz I don't want okay. to spoil anything. Yeah. But I thought the title is really good too because it's talking about prison sentence, but also sentences in these books that mm. are really they focus a little bit on how the bookstore becomes an essential mm. service during the pandemic and so they can be open. I really enjoyed this book. I think it's a little bit hard to describe and that's why people yeah. focus on the, the ghost aspect yeah. but there's a lot going on
1: that sounds really appealing for so many different reasons yeah i i That's really cool. enjoyed it and it's it's nice that it's like a modern like we were talking earlier like modern day people mm-hmm. Native americans living their life in you know mainstream culture it's not like it's a good reminder like people are still here Yes, I love books about book people. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. always kind of fun to read those too. It looks like there's a lot of like access points for people. Yeah, a if you've ever you ever worked could lash in a bookstore, onto. I think yeah. you'll enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. I'm gonna add that to my list kind of related is
0: My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, which I thought was a terrific title. And it was one of the reasons I wanted (laughs) to read it. It's a really good title. This one, there's also a sort of haunting, but this one's really focused on the main character of Jade. Her real name is Jennifer Daniels. But she went by J.D. for a little while, and then that turned into Jade. (laughs) And she's a senior in high school, and she lives in Prufrock, Idaho. That's on Indian Lake. And then across from Prufrock on the lake was a national forest and is, but somehow this group of wealthy friends were able to build, and they're calling the new town Terra Nova. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have these mansions and yachts there's a lawyer and a media mogul and mm-hmm. a realtor and so jade's history teacher um who she has a good relationship with is very concerned about this terra nova <laughs> and what it's going to do to Proofrock. yeah jade ends up becoming fascinated with one of the daughters the daughter of the media mogul who is um, going to school and in Proofrock with jade and her classmates mm-hmm. she's also a senior and jade is convinced that this girl is the final girl. Shade is obsessed with slasher flicks. Oh. Um, And she's kind of like Randy in the Scream franchise. Mm -hmm. She's always talking about elements of the genre Mm -hmm. of the slasher flick. And she writes these extra credit essays for her history teacher (laughs) on Slasher 101. (laughs) And um, those are really enjoyable. And she is a loner. She lives with her dad. She's half Native American. Her dad is Native American, and her mom is white, but they separated a while ago. I don't know if they're officially divorced, but they're not living together. Mm -hmm. And there's something that happened that she really... Doesn't have a good relationship with her mom. She doesn't have a good relationship (laughs) with her dad either. She doesn't really have friends. So it's almost like these films are She's really alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, Mm -hmm. I could see this becoming a movie. Mm -hmm. But then I was also thinking, like, if they actually adapted this for film, they'd have to invent somebody for her to talk to because she's, like talking to herself she's right. thinking about her horror films all the time <laughs> it's she's not right. really i mean she does it's interact super with people internal. but yeah the the story is like mostly her mm-hmm. and she's this great character i love yeah. her she has this custodial job that she does after school and so her uniform is this these coveralls that she wears all the time and she has these big boots and she's always dyeing her hair different colors with unconventional dyes like shoe polish and oh the coloring <laughs> and she's just this great character and it's cute how she she's been hoping this whole time for there to be a slasher in proof rock <laughs> because she's so obsessed with slasher films okay. and she's convinced Ooh. that there's going to be one and in fact the novel begins with a couple of tourists To Idaho who get killed. Oh, wow. They were recording their interaction, and she ends up with their phone. Mm -hmm. It's a couple, and she ends up with the guy's phone, and so there's evidence that Mm -hmm. this happened, but she doesn't turn it in, and then it gets destroyed, the phone, by accident. And so she kind of knows that something might actually be coming, and she's really thinking that her sort of friend Mm -hmm. they're not really friends but she's trying to prepare her to be the final girl because the final girl is the one who's going to be the last one standing and who's Mm -hmm. going to be able to put the slasher to Mm -hmm. bed or interesting you know so yeah yeah so um, and she doesn't think that she can be the final girl but you kind of wonder as you're reading like is she really the final girl the first three quarters of the book is leading up to you know it's not a spoiler there is a slasher (laughs) so and that all happens in the last like 100 pages so there's a lot going on towards the end of the book. She references a lot of the horror films of the 80s when she said it was like the golden age of the slasher Mm -hmm. she considers Jaws to be part of the slasher genre and um, has essays about that and she talks about the Scream franchise so even though that was after the 80s she includes it I think if you have seen these films. If you like Scream, you like that Mm self-referential type of meta story, I think you will enjoy it. And there is an element of abuse. There's something underlying all of this. So it it does have a bit of a serious side to it, Mm -hmm. but it is packaged in this way that is very fun and engaging. Mm -hmm. And Jade is just this terrific main character
1: you'll really that sounds really love fun too now I want to read that <laughs> and I don't even like slasher movies or any of that but she does sound like a really fun character to spend time with like just a really unique person that you want to kind of watch do her thing
0: it turns out that this is the first in a trilogy oh so wow she will come back um, okay I believe next year is when the second
1: book is going cool to out. that sounds pretty fun <laughs> I guess we know she doesn't die then yeah,
0: I, I think that would be sad if she died. If she's the main character.
1: Hey, you know, we all thought that that one girl was the main character of Scream, and she died in the first scene, right? Yeah, and they do that. Yeah. So, yeah, but I guess killing her in the first book would be a little, a little cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I have one more book to talk about. I feel like it's a book a lot of people have heard of or have already read, but I do think it's really popular for a reason. And that's Braiding Sweetgrass. The subtitle is Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. And it's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is... I wanna say she's a botanist and she got her PhD at UW Madison. So oh, that's she's got cool. a Wisconsin connection. And it's all about sort of the natural world and what we can learn from it. And it talks a lot about like her the combination of like her science background and then the knowledge that she was given by her parents through her indigenous heritage. So she's Potawatomi. And it's just really beautiful. A lot of like meditations on life and a lot of ways of looking at the world. And it's really beautiful. And it makes you think about our relationship to land and our relationship to the environment and what we kind of owe the environment and sort of how we can learn a lot from it. I just thought it was really beautiful. I listened to it on audiobook first and I would highly recommend that. She has a beautiful voice. The author reads it. And it's just, like, very soothing. I actually listened to it, like, right at the beginning of, like, COVID when we were all, like, locked in our houses. And, you know, when I was, like, stuck in my apartment in the city, like, staring out at just other brick buildings, it was, like, this really grounding experience to listen to her talk about digging in her garden or, like, about trees or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's really beautiful and you learn a lot from it. It's also really cool to see how like things that were known within indigenous understandings of the land and plants like are being validated by modern science. And that's just really cool and neat and it's amazing like how much people knew before, you know, they could do DNA testing or whatever, but just like by really having a deep understanding of plants and the environment and like the full ecosystem, they could really learned so much and they knew so much that then we really lost and now or like maybe like sort of like white civilization that came in and like colonized sort of either we never understood it in the first place or like it was lost or whatever like how that's coming back and being validated by modern science is pretty cool and it's neat to see how much we can learn from sort of this like indigenous plant wisdom that they've passed along and retained and yeah it's just one of those books that like is very comforting i think Mm -hmm. um and there's a reason it's like a modern classic because it really does just like i think inspire people to care more and slow down a little bit and like pay attention it's one of those books like every once in a while i'll just like go back and read a part of it and just like feel really good (laughs) oh that's that's a good one when you go back
0: to it yeah, I haven't actually read that. I I want to. It's on my list. I did read that one of the books that we read for Book Club earlier this year, The Overstory, the author mm. was inspired by her and oh, named cool. a character after her. Oh, that's really Because she was cool. familiar with her work. Yeah. Because I think, I don't remember exactly when The Overstory came out. It might have come out around the time that... Um, Braiding Sweetgrass did. Braiding Sweetgrass
1: came out in 2013.
0: Oh, okay. So it's pretty old. He
1: he would have read it. Yeah, he probably would have read it. Yeah, because I think the Overstory came out pretty recently. Yeah. yeah. She, I think they just came out with like a commemorative edition of Braiding Sweetgrass. So it's been in the news. That's the one whose cover is really beautiful that I want to buy, even though I don't need to buy it. But it's just really pretty. She also is like an acclaimed moss researcher. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) So in her like professional science life, not her Mm -hmm. professional writing life, like she studies moss. And she has a whole thing on moss within braiding sweetgrass and I had no idea moss was interesting but <laughs> she manages to make it really fascinating that's great that's... <laughs> you feel like you're learning something from moss so I do notice moss a lot more now interesting even just walking around like on on the way to like school or something I'll see oh look at that moss on that tree and I think of her, so. It sticks with you yeah that's like to me when you're in
0: school and you have a really good teacher Mm -hmm. and even if it's a topic that you didn't think that you'd
1: be interested in Mm -hmm. they make it good because they're such a good teacher I think Mm -hmm. she is one of those people and I think both Robin Wall Kimmerer and Tony Jensen have that ability to like make something that is either like sad or hard or sounds boring like moss and make it really interesting they're just like good storytellers their passion for something or like their you know drive kind of like inspires the people reading or being taught by them or whatever so i think that's a real skill yes and i think it can be hard in nonfiction sometimes Mm -hmm. to have that kind of like page turner aspect because it's it can be dry but um she it's not at all i will say it's one of those books that i wanted to savor because it's so good mm-hmm. so I would like force myself to stop even though I wanted to go I didn't mm-hmm. want it to end I would like only let myself listen to it while I was like doing the dishes at night so mm-hmm. I stretched it out you know because um, you don't want it to end that's a really good sign that, that yeah. it's a good book yeah <laughs> yeah and I know a lot of people who have read it and felt the same way and even if you've already read it in print I would say try it on audio because her voice gives it so much it really like enhances it that's so,
0: great thanks yeah. Megan Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Desk with Sarah and Megan. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and reading recommendations. You can find the book titles we discussed, as well as links to the art projects involving objects left near the U.S.-Mexico border in the show notes. We hope you'll join us next month when Desiree, Gina, and I suggest gifts for the bookish people in your life. That's all for this episode. See you next time.